okay. If you're a journalist who uses the tool Help a Reporter Out, or Harrow, listen up. Harrow is moving to Cision's new app, Connectively. But what is Connectively? Well, imagine a place where you can quickly connect with expert sources for your next story. Connectively is a new app from Cision that's changing the way journalists like us, content creators, experts and PRs work together. So if you're in search of credible sources, Connectively is your next stop. With just a click, you can publish your queries. These go straight to a feed where experts from loads of different backgrounds can respond, giving you their expertise. So go on, visit connectively.us to sign up for free. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-V-E-L-Y dot U-S. Connectively dot us. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. Hello, I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. We are storming through Series 11 here. I've been really inspired by some of the topics we've covered recently. We've had some really good issues and I'm sure this episode will be no different. Uh, Each week we discuss an issue affecting freelance journalists and chat through the problems and solutions with the help of two experienced guests. And this series, we're also experimenting with YouTube, like the cool kids that we are. Yes, yes, it's all uh, very exciting over on YouTube. Um, Yeah, so today's episode is about rejection and resilience. I think Emma and I have uh, gone through plenty of this, uh, particularly in the last week. Um, So we're going to be talking about how freelancers deal with this on a regular basis. And, you know, it's very much easier said than done, really. So we're going to talk you through some of the strategies on how to manage this side of your job. Yes. And as always, we like to get off to a positive start by talking about our freelance win of the week. Uh, Lily, you go first. Yeah. So mine, um, it connects a little bit to um, an episode we did actually on social media last week, but um. I was trying to find um, some sources to speak to and they um, were kind of connected with organisations. So I was like, well, I'll just go direct to the organisations. I'll try some charities, contacted loads of people, got nothing except for one um, organisation. When I put in um, a query, they just automatically signed me up to their mailing list, which really annoyed me um so I took to Twitter um and literally with a minute of putting a call out on Twitter I had a load of really good sources come back to me including some of the charities I've been trying to contact through their own uh websites and phone numbers um so yeah it was Twitter that came to my aid in the end and now I've got lots of great people to speak to so that was my one. And again, you know, be resilient, try lots of different ways of uh, contacting the right people. Yes, I always have a plan B. And don't, you know, if you want something doing, do it yourself. I think this is my mm. constant refrain. Yeah. yeah, so mine is this week also about uh, getting in touch with a contact. But this is someone that I have spoken to quite a few times over the years. Um, and I thought, oh, they'd be a good person for a quote for a news story. Um, but ended up they weren't able to help me with that but they were telling me about something that had been happening with them recently 
and I ended up with potentially something far more juicy. Um, I can't say anything yet, but there's something maybe to look into there. So we just show how beneficial it can be building those relationships over time that she felt comfortable to kind of say, well, this is where I am at the moment. And if you ever want someone to speak on this, I might be a good person. Um, so yeah, I felt I felt quite good that I'd spent spent the time um, gaining her trust, I suppose, over over a period of time. Absolutely, yeah, it's great when you get those um, little uh, uh, tip offs coming through from um, those contacts, especially when you're not expecting it. Okay, it's time to introduce our guests. First up, we have Kate Chapman, an experienced freelancer who's worked for herself since 2011. Kate covers a variety of topics, including countryside issues and rural affairs, real life and human interest, celebrity interviews, women's issues, parenting and more. And she has bylines in national newspapers, glossy magazines and local publications. And we also have with us Melissa Hobson, a freelance marine science, conservation and sustainability writer. Melissa's a journalist, copywriter, interested in telling stories. She's also got experience in PR and working with NGOs to help them with communication. Yeah, so hi both. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast today. Kate, we're going to kickstart with you and we're going to get right into it um, and talk about how important you think resilience is as a freelance journalist. So let's get to it. How important is resilience and what does it mean? What, what does resilience actually mean to you as a term? Well, it's hugely important. And to be honest, I don't think until I started freelancing, I realised how important it would be. Um, just for a bit of context, I came to freelancing and having worked on a bi-weekly newspaper in Lincolnshire. So I was constantly busy, always stories coming in and there was always stuff going on. I made the decision to freelance because it fitted around the lifestyle. I just, my daughter was about to turn one, so I decided that I would stay at home and work. And I had no contacts outside of Lincolnshire. I was quite naive, really, thinking that I was going to start writing for all these publications. And to be fair, the first couple of publications I pitched to, I, I did manage to get some commission. But from there on, it's been quite a roller coaster. Everybody says feast and famine, and it, it very much has been that. But I think the more you do it, the more you realise that everybody is in the same boat and that the commissions, they, they do sort of come and go and, and you've just got to stick with it. The more you pitch, the more commissions you, you will land. It's it's perseverance as well. Absolutely. And you do really get used to that, knowing just that you will have those periods where your pitches don't seem to be, you know, just seem to be going into a big black hole somewhere, but that something will come good at some point. I suppose that comes with experience doesn't it and uh, Melissa I'd like to ask you about that as well what what factors do you think can help build that resilience when you work for yourself yeah I mean I guess as Kate says it's a bit of a numbers game um there are going to be those pitches going into the black hole but also I suppose the more that happens the more you get used to it and the more resilient you can be um my background unlike Kate and I've kind of done the opposite from a lot of writers is come from PR sector into journalism rather than vice versa. So in my previous career, when I was working for PR agencies, there was a lot, a lot of pitches going to black holes. So I think that was, gave me quite a thick skin before I came into freelancing, which for me has been really handy to have that basis. 
Yeah, that that's really fascinating that you've come from a PR background, which I imagine must be fairly excruciating um, when you're pitching stuff to journalists and particularly journalists who are not necessarily very receptive um, or helpful. I know I'm not <laughs> when it comes to a lot of PRs. Um, so yeah, it would be really interesting to hear some more more about that in a bit. Um, but Kate, if we can just come back to you because you know we've talked about already that you might have dry periods of work or times when your pitches are going unanswered. But how do you actually handle that? Like, how do you build resilience and kind of avoid this feeling of rejection? I think one of the things is you you can't take it personally. It's not you being rejected as a person. It's just that idea for that story or that moment. Um, well, I've sort of sort of been through the cycle several years now, and there are times of year when pictures don't get picked up. People have not got the budgets to commission, or somebody else has pitched a similar idea, or editors are just inundated with pictures. There's, there's one that I particularly I write for quite a bit, and I know having spoken to him that he says he gets hundreds of emails a day, and that's not just from freelancers; that's from other things. And he's got quite a small team he's working on his own writing, trying to get a magazine out. And I'm bombarding him with pictures, sometimes two or three at a time, to see if I can land a commission. And I have to leave it a week or two. And it's following up. It's being resilient, knowing that you can just go back and say, "I've sent this a couple of weeks ago, not heard back from you." Don't take it as a no immediate thing. You need to have landed quite a lot of commissions from following up with people and just giving them a little nudge and a reminder. And it it sort of depends when that can land in their inbox. I mean, some some editors are work going through their emails first thing in the morning, some do it last thing at night, and it's just trying to find the the times when when they're open to pitches and things like that. So that can be handy as well. And like when the dry spells come, a lot of the time I find myself just sort of sending a few emails around those red editors that I write regularly for and saying, I'm available for work. I've got a couple of ideas for you. If they're not what you're looking for, is there anything in particular you are looking for or case studies that I can find for you? It's keeping the conversation going, I think, and, and just not giving up. Yeah, because I think there are so many factors um, as you know, you might just be sat there thinking, oh, they hate me, my idea. They don't want to use me. But actually, they might never have seen the idea. Their budget might have disappeared. They might just have over commissioned and be completely full. So I'm not even looking at those. Um, or it might just be a quirk of timing or there's all so many things that factor into why a commission could get picked up or not getting picked up. So like you say, it's like having that almost scientific approach to it of oh, maybe I emailed them at this time of day last time maybe I'll do it this time of day or you know not not giving in on those ideas um, and Melissa you like Kate you've been doing this for a long time do you think your ability to handle rejection whatever that looks like has sort of changed over time does it improve as you grow in confidence as a freelancer I think it does I think it depends on the day some days I'm feeling more fragile than others and it can be a bit tougher I think especially when you're just having pictures going into the void and you're not getting any feedback, um, you know, when you've got a relationship with someone and they can let you know that it's not working because they've got to go on holiday and they've not got time to edit anymore or they don't have the budget or whatever, that can really help you reframe and maybe pitch that story to someone else or tweak it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think over time and having more experience helps you have that thicker skin and get on with it and I think another thing that helps is speaking to other freelancers who go through the same thing you know I think people think 
when they see a writer who has all these amazing bylines that they would love to have in their portfolio, that that person's just, you know, firing out all these pictures and everyone is is getting commissioned. And I think when you realize that's not the case, you know, all of us are going through that rejection as well. I think that really helps you not take it personally and realize it's it's just part of the process. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I know we've had Amelia Tate on a couple of times and, you know, she's one of those people that comes up with such kind of quirky, interesting ideas and, and she sometimes has a flurry of stories out. Um, but, you know, she was talking about plenty of ideas she's had that just don't get picked up or she has to wait for the, the right time. She might be sitting on them for a year or two until that kind of, topic is trending again um so yeah even people that we you know we might admire and see as really successful are going through exactly um exactly the same thing so I think it's really useful to remind ourselves of that and again Kate like you were saying a really practical piece of advice is try contacting editors at different times of day or asking them like when is the best time to send you pictures you know it might be they have a regular um, news conference where they want to take ideas to. When is that? Um, I've certainly done that with editors. Like I know some editors, first thing in the morning is great, like eight o'clock, kind of whether on the bus, you know, if they're in London on the bus into work, they're looking at their emails. But others, there's absolutely no point sending anything in the morning. They just do not see it. And towards the end of the day is much um, a much better time and and towards the end of the week sometimes as well um, I should make a note of it because I kind of sometimes do forget which editor it's almost like when an editor replies to you it's worth noting the day and the time that they replied to you um, and seeing if there's a pattern there because I think that that can be useful um, but I guess you know we've talked a bit about you know, rejection is normal and, and being resilient is kind of all part and parcel of the job. But obviously it can, you know, it, it can impact on you personally, on your own sort of mental health um, and also the sort of health of your business. So I'm just wondering, Kate, if you've got any sort of uh, thoughts on, you know, are there any warning signs if you're not handling things well and you do perhaps need to do something about how how to be more resilient i was thinking back to times when i have found myself overwhelmed because i've just not wanted to say no to anything and that can be almost as bad as getting no work so and stressing out about things it affects my sleep and then that doesn't have a very good effect for the work because it's obviously not firing on all cylinders. So it's sort of coming at it from both angles. But I think the idea is you're trying to balance it and knowing when to sort of just step back a bit and perhaps having other things like little side hustles or other sort of avenues of work that you can go down. I suppose I'm a bit fortunate in that I've got one or two other things that when the work isn't coming in the freelance work, I've got other things that I can go and do. Um, I do my husband's accounts, he's a farmer, so I have that work to do as well, which I have to factor in. And then I have a bit of a side hustle selling some artwork. And I've also found that when I've had downtime, I've started writing a bit of children's fiction as well. So there's a lot going on there and try to balance all that as well. So it's trying not to sort of stress out too much and just know that the, the commissions will come. I said about the roller coaster before, it's feast or famine. And once you get one or two bits of work starting to come in, you do find that then more, more does come in. So it's, it's just try not to get 
too stressed about it. Having other things you can go and do, or just like going out for a walk, leaving your desk and just going for a walk and just taking some time away from it. So it's not all all consuming. And I know that people were, were obviously worrying about the money, whereas I'm going to pay a bill as a freelancer. And, and those things do wear in your mind that you have got to sort of be balanced about it and uh, try and make sure that you're sort of looking after yourself as well, mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's kind of two really important things there. So the first is um, having just having lots of different bits of work that you do so you're not relying on anyone. I think that's, you know, really a key part of resilience as a freelancer is you're not relying on any one income stream. So if you're only writing for one publication and that editor disappears or their budget disappears, but if you've actually got a few different strings to your bow and a few different things that you do, if at some point of the year one thing isn't working or you're not getting um, the kind of responses or the commissions that you're expecting, if you've got other things that you can do- go and do to practically keep yourself busy, keep the ideas flowing, that's going to be really helpful to you, I think. Um, and I think uh, the other thing there, and I want to come to you, Melissa, on this, is that kind of mindset where you're thinking of a plan B, that you're a bit you're self-motivated and you're sort of thinking, right, this isn't working out for me. I might need to try a different tactic. I might need to try a new way of reaching out to people, a new way of connecting with new editors. Is there a different way that I can try that I've not done before? And um, yeah, how, how important do you think that is in kind of just thinking, right, I'm not just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a, a new, a new direction. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think one of the things that, that I try and do as well is, as well as looking at new editors, new contacts, people to pitch, often when I'm feeling stuck and, you know, not quite sure where to go next in terms of you know pictures or finding work it's often that I'm spending too much time at my laptop so actually I try and flip it a little bit and think okay well I need to get away from the computer where are the stories you know who can I go and meet in you know in the type of work that I do are there any conservation volunteers locally that are doing I don't know a litter pick or something like that to get me away from that um you know, the to-do list and, and all of the things on the laptop and, yeah, get out, get active. For me, particularly, get into nature because that's when the ideas come. You know, when I'm sitting, staring at my laptop for two hours trying to think of a story is 99% of the time not when I come up with a good story. So kind of trying to prize myself away from that and, and doing things in a different way that way. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about idea generation is, you know, an idea could strike you at any time. So you also need a way of kind of recording that and being prepared, like when it does hit you, that, you know, quickly send yourself a voice note or an email or a text or something. So you've got that um, that idea and then you can come back to it at a later date and kind of, or even, you know, then entering it into a spreadsheet and having a systematic approach so that you don't forget it. Or even saving it for a later date. You know, if it's now's not the time, um, then it may well be something you can come back to. Um, so I guess that would be one tool is kind of, you know, is is it's about being organised as well, so you can kind of manage um, manage your workflow and have ideas to hand when perhaps things um, 
are quieter. I suppose the other thing we've not kind of talked about is, um, you know, we talked about you need to be resilient, you need to be thick-skinned, but not everyone is like that and not everyone wants to be like that. Um, So I'm just wondering to what extent, like, you have to be a certain type of person to do this kind of work in the first place. You know, not just as a freelancer, but as a freelance journalist that has kind of, you know, added dynamics to it. You know, are you someone that has to be kind of self-motivated, perhaps, you know, a good problem solver? Or are these kind of skills that you can train yourself and it comes with experience? Like how much is kind of, you know, it's a bit chicken and egg, but, you know, maybe for some people this just isn't the right line of work for them. I wonder, Melissa, if I could ask you, because you've obviously come from PR as well, so it'd be interesting to kind of hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, there's, as you say, it's probably a bit chicken and egg. I think self-motivation as a freelancer and particularly a freelance writer is something that I think you do really need to have from the off. I've had conversations with friends who are in PAYE jobs and they've said, oh, but, you know, how do you persuade yourself to get the work done every day and I'm like well I've got bills to pay so I have to you know if you're not in that mindset to get up and go and you know chase those leads find those commissions without a line manager you know telling you to do that work then maybe this isn't the right type of job for you Um, but at the same time I think there are skills that you can learn and develop you know I'm not naturally very thick-skinned that's something that I've really practiced and built and I still work on over time you know sometimes you think you have a great pitch and you get some feedback and they've kind of tore it apart a little bit and that can sting and I guess it's just a case of taking a deep breath picking yourself up again and and getting on with it so yeah I think there's so many different personality types that are that are writing as freelancers um but I yeah I probably would say that that motivation and that discipline to get up, find the stories and go and find that work is is the one that I would say is really crucial. Yeah, and I think what you've described there is someone who really enjoys their job. Like, I think you have to enjoy it. You have to have that kind of um, kind of gut instinct for what makes a good story and to just really be keen to tell stories because otherwise it is going to be a bit of a grind. If Because I've had that exact same thing. The number of times that people have said to me, oh, did you just watch TV all day? Oh, like it's never even crossed my mind. This is my job. I actually really enjoy it. You know, there are some times when I'm having to drag myself to my desk and usually when I've got too much work on and I'm like, can't quite face it. But most of the time, I'm actually really enjoying it. So I think if you're not enjoying it and because of that, that resilience is going, you're feeling a bit burnt out, you're feeling like you can't cope with it, then maybe it's time to reassess the type of work you do because you've got skills that you could use in other areas so maybe it's time to think about actually what is it about this that is making me kind of switch switch off from this um I mean Kate you've been doing this uh, more than 10 years now so if someone was about to go freelance either they were going from a staff job and they're about to take that leap or they're someone who's just starting out and they think that freelance is a good way to kind of get that portfolio going and what tips would you have for kind of getting that 
resilience in place from the get-go because obviously you don't have much you don't have as much confidence when you start it is a bit fake it till you make it so are there things that you can put in place to try and help get that you know get that resilience going I think so but to a certain extent even 10 years on I still very much feel that it's fake it till you make it I still feel like I'm just playing at it a bit even though I'm sitting here and I've got an office I sit here every day and I'm tapping away writing stories that are going in national publications I still don't feel like I'm doing it properly almost to some extent and I think that I think that is the perception a lot of people have if you just said a freelancer sort of sitting at home watching tv and having a cup of tea and eating biscuits and not perhaps and sort of committed as, as everybody thinks you are but I think if you are going to start out you, you need to be committed I mean I'm not talking sat at your desk 24 7 hours a day because we said you, you can't physically maintain that and it's it's not going to work for your mental health you do need to know when to step back a bit and and or when to because like the stories don't, as we said, Melissa said, the stories aren't always coming when you sit staring at the computer. So you, I think to start out, you need to have a, an idea of what kind of things you want to write. There is an idea that everybody needs to have a specialism and, and you sort of focus on that. I've kind of gone the other way because I didn't write a lot of features until I started freelancing. So I was a bit of a jack of all trades and writing about lots of things. And I think in hindsight, that's perhaps helped me because I've got several different areas, I can pitch similar stories to. I live in rural Lincolnshire. I'm a farmer's wife, so a lot of the stories I cover are farming and food related. But also, I write for regional magazines, and I can pitch those ideas to those as well. And I also write for titles like Women's Weekly, and often they're looking for real-life stories about female farmers. So I've got quite a broad base of topics that I cover that also go to a broad base of publications. So Although having a specialism can help, I think sometimes you don't want to put yourself in too much of a niche either. Yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting. Because Melissa, you've obviously, you do have a niche. Um, and I wonder with that, whether, because it's, a, you know, obviously a topic you feel passionate about, do you ever find that you get really wedded to certain stories and it's it's very difficult to let them go if they're not? being picked up and is that all part of resilience as well in in kind of you know knowing when to kind of drop an idea even though you think it's like the best story in the world yeah I think I think that's definitely something that's important to to be aware of I suppose for me it's a bit of a strange one because I never um actively chose my niche you know I never thought I really want to be a marine conservation writer it just kind of happened because I really love talking about the ocean and the stories that are going on around the ocean. Um, I think that does sometimes mean that I can really geek out about something that everyone else is like, wait, what? I've never heard of that species, so I don't know why we care. Um, so I do have to pull myself back sometimes and think about, you know, would my dad care about this story in the same way as my best friend, who's a marine biologist, you know, would a someone that's not as passionate about the ocean still think it's super interesting that sharks are doing whatever, or you know, whales are wearing seaweed on their heads like a hat at the moment, which is just brilliant. Um, so I think sometimes you do have to realise, okay, maybe that's not the right topic. It's maybe too niche for a, a lay audience. But I think for me as well, you know, even though I'm in a hyper niche subject matter the ocean does kind of touch everything and there's so many studies there's so many 
scientists doing cool things that actually I found it easier over time to let those stories go because there's another one coming my way. And if you're hanging on too tightly to one particular story or one particular case study, you might miss some other timely things that are that are going to be coming as well. So I think that's, you know, whatever your niche or if you don't have a niche, being aware that, you know, saying yes to one particular thing also means saying no to other things and kind of having your feelers out for those stories that maybe are, are coming your way soon as well. Yeah, and I think one of the things that um, I've found this as well because Kay you mentioned there about imposter sort of imposter syndrome like do you ever feel like because like you know I still feel like that now from time to time if you're doing something new you sort of have to talk yourself into doing it right you're kind of giving yourself permission to do that to do that thing and if you're too scared of rejection if you're too scared of getting something wrong or it not working out that can really hold yourself back from putting yourself forward for things that you'd be grateful or you would do a good job of um, Kate, can you sort of, has there ever been that time where you've had to really talk yourself into, yeah, I do, I can pitch to that place. I, I would do a good job of that and kind of not letting that imposter syndrome voice take over. Yeah, there's been a, a few instances. Because I said, when I started writing, I was doing for sort of like regional and local publications. And then I was looking at some of the bigger papers and thinking, I, I didn't feel confident pitching to them. I was worried about the deadline's going to be too short for me to turn stuff round and I had a bit of an issue but there was one um, column in the Guardian and I'd sort of been following it for a few years I was desperate to get a piece in and I sort of sent a couple of pitches off tentatively and probably didn't get the right editor to start with either and got passed around a bit and the ideas were a no so that put me off from going back for a little while but at the beginning of this year I came across this story which I thought that would be a perfect fit for it sent the idea off and got a yes back straight away so it I think you just need a bit of confidence sometimes to give yourself the, the boost to, to, to keep putting yourself out there and it can be a grind sort of sending pictures out day after day and and sometimes getting nothing back so but if I do try and set myself a goal now to try and get something in this publication or to, to get something in this column and it's sort of something to aim for and keeps it fresh and keeps me making me pitch to new publications because I can lazy is not the right word but you do get comfortable writing for just the regular ones I've got three or four that I will regularly write for but then when, when they stop commissioning for whatever reason, they've got no budget or something, you're suddenly thinking, hang on a minute, I've still got bills to pay and, and now I've got only got two or three titles that I'm writing for at the minute. So I think you, you do need to keep putting yourself out there and, and sometimes you do have to fake it until you make it and, and get the confidence just to go for it. Absolutely. And just take the rough with the smooth, right? Even in a staff job, there are going to be times when things aren't going well, things aren't going your way. I think that's where kind of networks of freelance journalists come in really handy because you realise that it's not just you, that everybody is kind of having these issues. Um, and also just things like life can just get in the way and you're sort of looking at, like Lily and I were just both saying, like we've got like illness, family illness, like things are just feeling very chaotic and out of control. But you do because it's just you. You haven't got a boss to call and say, I need today off or whatever. You... You just have to sort of take that deep breath and think, right, what can I manage? What can I, you know, actually get done in this time? How can I just keep going without burning myself out? And Melissa, have you got any tips for that, really, when sort of life gets life gets a bit tricky, but you're still trying to get those commissions and, and bring the money in? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that that's been really helpful for me is realizing how important it is to plan ahead, you know, particularly financially. So initially when I first went full-time freelance, if I had a big month, I'd, you know, put aside whatever I needed to tax and all that kind of thing. And then I pay myself the rest. But then the next month I might have a quiet month and think, oh, I haven't been able to pay myself very much this month is a bit of a worry. Whereas now I actually kind of pay myself a set salary as it were. So if I have a massive month and I get lots of commissions and I get lots of work, I pay myself what I need to and then I put a little bit in a in a buffer so that if I do have those quiet times, because they do come and it might be commissions not happening or a publication that you've been writing for regularly, not commissioning, not having budget, or it might be sickness or holiday or whatever, it's less of a stress knowing that actually I've still got a little bit that I can pay myself next month. I can cover my bills and those kind of things. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm quite conservative on that side of things and I'm quite practical. And I think that gives me the confidence as well to really focus on getting the commissions, finding the stories rather than spending too much time worrying about, you know, the money and the time and how, you know, how many pictures do I need to send and those kind of things. It almost frees you up to be a bit more creative having that safety net. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of do something similar in that, although I don't pay myself like that, I, I have a target of like what I want to earn each month, but it's quite flexible. It's sort of between this amount and this amount. But at the same time, I don't stress about it because I know some months I'll go over and some I'll be under. So as long as like across a year, I'm roughly hitting the middle of that target, then, then I feel like everything is kind of fine. Um, so yeah, it's kind of having a system, like you say, for managing your money so that you can, if you can do that, you can kind of keep on top of everything else. And, and that really helps with, um, you know, your kind of resilience and your mental health and everything. And when you do have those periods of rejection, you don't have to kind of worry about them so much. So I think that's, that's really good advice. Well, on that note, because we've had so much good advice today, um, but we're actually going to uh, round up. But before we do, we're just going to ask each of you um, for your recommendation of a piece of work by a freelance journalist. So, Kate, let's come to you. What's your recommendation? Um, yeah, this is a piece I saw earlier sort of via LinkedIn, actually. It's um, from The Guardian Online by environmental journalist Anna Turns. And so probably not something I'd usually read, actually, but what's happened? I didn't really like that, but it, it caught my eye because of the, the, the headline. It was so, um, how researchers have remade the world's most widely used petrochemicals without using fossil fuel. And it's a fascinating read, really in-depth, and I uh, really enjoyed reading it, so I wanted to share that one. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Kate. And Anna is definitely uh, a friend of Freelancing for Journalists, and we will put the link to that uh, in our show notes. And Melissa, let's come to you. What's your recommendation? Yeah, so mine, um, I just thought it was quite a fun one. It's by a writer called Jason Bettel, who does um, pieces for National Geographic. He does lots of fun animal pieces. And the article, it's a few months old now, but it was called something like, Forget Everything You Think You Know About Pigeons. And I think it was just really a really nice reminder that sometimes we're chasing these, you know, new quirky angles when actually there's something right under your nose that is um, that can be really interesting if you delve into it. So I thought that was a, a nice little piece by him. 
Absolutely. That's a really good uh, example of just keeping that um, kind of new sense and story sense turned on at all times, right? And thinking just, yeah, what's a different way into a topic? That's fantastic, Bay. Thank you both for such practical advice today. Um, we really appreciate it. That's been some great tips there. Yeah, thank you very much. And I've just noticed my dog is trying to uh, photo bomb. I don't know if you can see. He's there in the background, rolling around yeah. a little bit. It's in the... Yeah. Oh, there he is. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Um, yeah so if you'd like to um, get some more tips on how to develop a successful freelance career then sign up to our newsletter on Substack um, and each week we give out lots of tips and share our personal experience yeah you can also join, join our large Facebook community there's almost 7,000 people on there so if you do want to find and reach out to other freelancers so you can don't feel so alone and you can chat to them about what they're going to and their tips for uh, pitching and everything else uh, then uh, sign up to that and start asking questions you can also find us on twitter or x if you prefer at freelancing4 and i'm on there as at energerno and i'm at lily canter and finally a big thank you to our producer maddie drury and we'll be back with another episode next week bye for now Bye.